I want to start us off here with an interesting phenomenon. Uh, a friend of ours actually kind of alerted us to this. Who She's a lady who runs a, an accounting firm in Bellingham, and she said this very thing actually happened to her. So maybe you've heard of it, but there's an article that describes it. It's called, uh, this is from Daisy Schofeld. This is from The Guardian about a year ago, November 16, 21. It says, it's the biggest open secret out there. The double lives of white-collar workers with two jobs. And so what's happened with the pandemic and, and lots of jobs being sent home is some people started to figure out, you know, I can be hired and work for a company having never met a soul, having never left my house. I can work from home. Why don't I do two of those? Why don't I do three of those? And this gal we know, she said she was struggling because her employee just wasn't following through and wasn't answering emails. And her son said, well, that's because they have two jobs. That's because they're playing you. So that's actually been a growing thing. It's not just that they have a second job. It's that they have two jobs and they're kind of faking each employer out and not doing either job really well. So let me read, read some of this article. It's really fascinating. It's, this is talking about some people doing this. This is among them is Jamie. A 25-year-old based in the UK. Over lockdown, Jamie found himself spending a significant amount of each working day playing video games. His role as a software engineer is undemanding and barely monitored by his company. It allowed him to live comfortably, but he was on what he considered a modest salary. Eventually, a thought occurred to him. What if he could put that spare time into earning more money? After noticing a rise in remote job vacancies amid lockdown, he decided to apply for a full-time role in a software development without giving up his software engineering. A few months into working at both jobs, Jamie has managed to keep his double life a secret from both his bosses and is now making twice his original salary. Now, this is his quote. It was way easier than I thought it would be, he says. Both companies have very low expectations, so I'm not really struggling to get away with two jobs. <laughs> I think the work from home might need to tighten the screws down a little bit. So uh, this, they go on to talk about that there's actually huge online communities that help you do this and help you do this effectively. It says, Jamie is part of a growing online community of overemployed. That's the technical word. Which workers, which functions much like a support group for those who have taken or plan to take the leap into overemployment. The community was founded by 37-year-old Isaac, a tech worker in the U.S., in April when he launched Overemployed.com. Now I realize the risk of me reading this is that some of you are like, wait, this is a thing. So I'm not trying to direct you to do this. It says this is a, this site, Overemployed.com, a site with articles extolling the benefits of having more than one full-time job and offering advice on everything from filing U.S. tax returns to keeping managers' expectations low. <laughs> it's like, well, that's wonderful. So it goes on to describe you know, how some of them have been caught. You know, they're working for two jobs, and it turns out those two managers know each other, and they go, wait, yeah, Frank's working for me. Wait, Frank's working for you? And so some of them have been caught. Or what do you do when you have two simultaneous Zoom meetings? You know, how do you do that? What do you do if you answer the wrong Zoom meeting for the wrong place? So they, they talk you through how to really fake them out and uh, how to do it. But the point was, uh, this is just one illustration when we, we kind of keeping people fooled, 
right? No, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm working for you. Oh, yeah, I'll get right on that project. No, I'm here for you. I'm working for you. I'll get right on that project. And it's this idea of a double life, keeping people guessing, keeping people in the dark, keeping people thinking you're something that you're not or you're doing something that you're not. And so this is just one modern-day illustration of that age-old problem of kind of faking people out. And so we're going to look at that today, not from an employment standpoint. You can do this in our faith, in a life of following God, where you can, on the one hand, yeah, I'm doing the part, I'm looking the part, I'm, I'm keeping, yeah, I'm following you, God, I'm doing what you want, but really, I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm kind of keeping people fooled. It looks like it, it sounds like it, I know the lingo, but I'm actually not following you. I'm doing what I want to do over here on the side. And so Paul's going to talk about that as we're here in Romans. So let me set up where we are. We're in this big section in Romans chapter 1, 16 through chapter 3. And the whole point of this book is talking about the gospel. So he, he told us in Romans 1, 16, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. We just celebrated the power of God to save us by his death and resurrection. We're not ashamed of this. We've just celebrated it. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it either. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so that's what Steve just talked us through. We have to trust. We have to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. We believe that his blood paid for our sins. And so it's an ongoing life of continuing to believe that. That's why we continue to take communion and continue to remind ourselves and proclaim the Lord's death. So that he's saying this is all about the gospel, the good news of the gospel. And then the first thing he does in verse 18 is say, but let me talk about God's wrath first. Let me talk about the bad news, right? For the wrath of God is revealed. If you're going to be saved, we need to be saved from something. He says, we're going to be saved from the wrath of God. It's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So these first several weeks we've been looking at the wrath of God, and who's under the wrath of God. And we saw several weeks ago, one group was uh, those who just reject, who say, God, you're not in control of my life. I don't want you driving the car. I want to do it my own way. I know that you're there, but I don't care. So the wrath of God is on people that just say, nope, I'm going to suppress the truth. I do not honor you as God, and I'm not thankful to you. I'm going to do it myself. And God says, okay, do it yourself. We saw that. The next group, last week we saw the group who was judging the first group. Like, yeah, right. Get them, God. They're terrible. They deserve it. Look at the mess they're making. And Paul says, wait, hey, time out. You who are judging that group, are you doing the same thing? It comes on you. So you also need to be aware of the wrath of God. So we've seen that group, the rejecting, the judging. And this week, he's going to look at religious hypocrisy. right? Acting as if, playing the part and it's not genuinely of the heart. So that's where we're going to get this third group today. And our main point is that God is not fooled. He sees a genuine heart. God is not fooled. Right? You might be able to fake out some online employers, but you can't fake God out. You can't fake God out. He sees a genuine heart for him. And we're going to find that's actually really good news. That's really good news. So we're going to do today Romans chapter 2, verses... 20, no, 17 through 29, 217 through 29. We love to study the Bible here, 
go through passages of Scripture. We want to hear from God. We want God's Word to be made clear to our minds and hearts. So let's do verses 17 through 29. He says, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you're, you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code in circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So that's the passage we're going to cover here today. And the first thing is he's addressing Jews here. Some of you are real familiar with the scripture and the story of scripture. Some of you could be brand new today, so I don't want to miss that part. And why is this all this Jews language? And what's this talking about if you call yourself a Jew? Is that Paul himself is ethnically Jewish. And, and the, the uh, Jewish people, they pick up that name as time goes on as uh, descendants of the land of Judah. So that name Jew comes in there. You also read it Israel. But there are a group of people that God said, I'm going to specifically make you a people and work with you to bring my blessing to the whole world. You can read that in Genesis 12. He picks a guy called Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you and you're going to have offspring and they're going to bring blessing to the whole world. So that's where they come from. And so when Paul's saying, if you call yourself a Jew, he's talking about these people that God has been working with and he's called them and says, you're my, you're my covenant people. You're the people that I want to work with. So when Paul's addressing Jews, don't read this as some kind of anti-Semitic context. He's not talking about, ha let's get them. Paul himself is Jewish. Jesus is Jewish. He's saying, I want to make the argument that I used to make. Paul himself, following the, the Jewish ways as a Pharisee, persecuted Christianity and hated Christianity and was after it until he met the Lord Jesus on the road, and it changed everything. So the arguments he's launching here would likely have been very ones he used. Why I don't have to follow Christ? Well, because I'm following the law, and I'm doing everything perfectly, and I don't need this whole Christ thing. And what are you talking about, this Jesus? He's voicing probably his very own arguments before he understood the gospel. So that's, that's what's being addressed here. And uh, the first part here, he's talking about that God's not fooled. He sees through external religion. He sees through it. And so in this passage, we're going to see uh, the, the Jewish religion laid out in two categories. There's having and teaching the law, 
And then there's the issue of circumcision, which we'll get to both of these. And there's, very, there's something very deliberate that's being left out here, but we're going to work on this. He's going to address these two things, having and teaching the law and circumcision as a religion that's not really getting to their hearts. So this first section is about having and teaching the law, the law that was given to Moses, right? You call yourself a Jew, you rely on the law, right? Here it is, we have it. You boast in God. We're God's people. And you know his will. How do they know his will? They read it, right? We read and we go every week to synagogue and we look into the scriptures and we want to hear what God So we know his will and we approve what is excellent because you're instructed from the law. We know what is good. We know what is right. We know what is true because God told it to us. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, and not only do we know what's excellent, know what's from God, we want to help other people who don't know. Right? This is all part of what a, a Jewish religious identity would have been that Paul's addressing, right? It's not only that we know what God's wants, we show people and we guide people and we help them see. If you are an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. So he's acknowledging everything we have in the Old Testament scriptures are the truth from God and knowledge. So he's saying this is a Jew making their religious case why they're not under the wrath of God because we have the law and we teach the law. Did you catch what's missing? Having the law. Teaching the law. What's missing about it? Obeying the law. Right? We have it. We know all about it. We can explain it. We can show it to people. We can tell them, right? This is what he's saying. Yeah, yeah, you have it. Yeah, you know it. Yeah, you tell it to other people. What are you not doing? You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? He's saying, yeah, you're really good at pointing out and showing other people. You're preaching against stealing. Are you stealing? Oh, wait. No, no. I know stealing is wrong. No, that's not the point. Are you stealing? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Right? And this could be a very common problem, right? He's saying, hey, it's one thing to know what God says. Are you doing it? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Now, this one's kind of a weird one. Like, what does this mean? If you hate idols, why would you go steal them from the temple? Right? We're writing to Romans. So he's writing to Jews and Gentiles, Christians in Rome, which is filled with Roman and Greek temples and idols and there's whole trades and businesses selling the take-home version of the idol that's in the temple. So this one's kind of weird. What's he getting at? If you hate idols and any good faithful Jew would say there's one God, we don't worship this pantheon of gods, why would you go rob them? And so it's really, there's trying to figure out what could this be? And here's one clue comes from in Deuteronomy And it's Moses talking about when they go in and they're going to get these other lands that God gave them, the promised land, and these other lands had other people with other gods. He says, watch out when you do this. He says, the carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or gold that is on them or take it for yourselves. So when they were to go in and take these places, they don't take their idols because you can melt down and have the gold on them. Don't profit from this thing you're supposed to destroy. 
So it could very well be that while you know these guys in Rome are saying, yeah, we hate these temples and this is evil, and they have some kind of business where they're collecting the idols and melting the gold down and selling it off. We hate the idols. We're making money over here. That's a possibility. But Paul's whole point is, uh, you're not really following through on what you're teaching. You're talking about how terrible an idol is. You're talking about how terrible these temples are. And then you're going in here and making money. You're talking about never stealing and then you're doing it. He's basically just saying, you boast in the law, you dishonor God by breaking the law. It's not enough just to have it, to know it, to tell other people to do it. He's saying, you're not actually following your own teaching. You're not actually doing what you're telling other people to do. And then he really drops the boom here. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. See, you are actually making God look terrible by claiming to know the truth and teaching people the truth and denouncing what they're about. And then people see you not do it. They see your hypocrisy. And so when people go, if that's what it means to follow God, I want no part of it. That's, that's what he's getting at. You're, you're acting the part. Right? And so this is still going on. We still got to be careful. This is why our church bus doesn't have the church name on it. I want Steve to be free to break a few traffic rules if he's late to camp and they don't call the church office, right? But that's, that's actually a silly one. But in, in, uh, in reality, this whole movement that's happening, perhaps you've, perhaps you've heard of this movement of uh, deconstructing and, and students and teens who grow up in church and then they go off and they deconstruct their faith and they tear it apart and there's whole websites and movements on how to do it. One of the reasons that happens is because they look at Christians and Christian leaders and Christians in public and go, if, if that's what it's about, I want no part of that. So this isn't just a problem in Paul's day to Jews who were saying they followed the law but didn't. It's a problem up to today. That if we say we're for God and we live for God and then we have this dual secret life and people see that and go, I, I want no part of that. And Paul's saying the same thing to them. Look, God's name is blasphemed because of how you're living. So, God is not fooled. He sees through their external religion. And he really pointed out, yeah, you have the law and you know what it says and you know the right answer and you tell other people the right answer and then you're doing the opposite. And God sees through that. He sees through the hypocrisy. Right? So we, we saw through that part, having and teaching the law. They would say, I don't need to respond to Christ. I don't need to turn to the gospel. I have the law. I teach the law. And Paul's saying, yeah, but you really don't live the law. So you need the gospel. The second boast they would make to say why they're doing fine and why they're okay was this whole thing of circumcision. So I realize if you're new to church, you're going, do they really talk about that at church? Is that okay to talk about that at church? Why? This is weird. So let me tell you why it's in here. This is not medical class. This is not biology. Don't worry. All right, he says, for circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law. So, he, so they would have this claim, we are the circumcised Jewish people of God. Where does that come from? When God first called Abraham and said, you're going to be the guy I work with, and the Jewish people are going to come from you, he gave them a sign. You can read this in Genesis 17, 9. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. 
You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So the whole idea is the Jewish people had this physical mark, the males, as an ongoing reminder, you are my people, I'm going to keep my promises to you. So that's where that comes from. So what they were saying is we are ethnically descended from Abraham. We have been circumcised. We're marked as the people of God. So we're fine. We have the law. We know the law. We're we're marked as people of God. And Paul says, yes, that's good. It's a value. If you obey the law. If you actually do it. But if you break the law... Your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. It was sort of like, well, we have the sign of immunity. We can do whatever we want. And Paul's saying, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. Right? If you're uncircumcised and you keep the law, won't it be regarded as circumcision? He's saying your obedience actually matters more. What you're actually doing matters more. Not the mark, what you're doing, right? He says you can be uncircumcised, you can obey God, and that will count. But he says, but you... uh, You have the written code, you have the law, but you're breaking it. You're not actually following it. So our closest connection to this maybe in our culture be to wear a wedding ring, right? I'm married. This is the sign of the marriage. This is the sign of the covenant. So you can have the ring, but if you don't go home ever, you probably have a problem in your marriage. Right? If you don't speak to your spouse, you're going to have a problem in your marriage. right? If you're spending all the money somewhere else and, and not support, you're going to have some problems. Oh, but I'm married. Yeah, but are you acting like it? Right? The ring doesn't make you married. Your actual actions that you come home and interact with your spouse and love your spouse and cherish your spouse and live for a future together and are faithful to one another. right? That's the marriage, not the ring. The ring is the sign of it. But if you're not going to act married, the ring doesn't suddenly absolve you. Oh, but I got this. No, no, no. You're not acting married. And that's kind of how it was working. But we've been circumcised. We're God's people. Yeah, but you're not acting like it. You're not living like it. So they are relying on having and teaching the law and circumcision to say, God, we're good. We're good. But Paul's pointing out, but you're living differently. You're really not living any differently than the first group who openly reject God. In fact, it might be worse because you're thinking that you can fake God out. We have the external marks of it. We have the law. We teach the law. We know the law. We have the mark of circumcision. And he's going, yeah, but God's not fooled. He sees what you're doing. He sees your everyday life. He sees external religion. It's not that dissimilar to when people figure it out. Oh, I see that you're faking out your boss. I see that you're not really doing the work. It catches up. So that was the first part. God's not fooled. But the second part is that he sees a genuine heart. And this is where we start getting to some good news today. He says, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Nor is circumcision outward and physical. This is where he's kind of blowing their category. What? What? A Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. God's actually always been about hearts. It's easy to think, and it was easy for them to think, we have the law, we do the religious observances, we go to the festivals, we have the mark. If we do all these external things, God's good to go. And he's saying, no, it's always been about your heart. 
Even the law itself says that, the law of Moses. You can read this in Deuteronomy 10, which is a whole re-giving of the law. This is what he's telling the people. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today, for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and no longer be stubborn. In the law, he's saying, I've given you this law. This is the best and wisest and, and greatest way to live. But he says, it's always been about your heart. What's covering it? What's keeping you from me? He said, I want you to follow me with your heart. Not with external, not with faking me out, with your heart. He says, his pra- and here he gets at one of the issues. His praise is not from man, but from God. And it's really easy to do things so that other people will think, so then you puff yourself up. And he's saying, that's, that's the reverse of what God is looking for. Jesus addresses this when he first comes on the scene in Matthew. Uh, he preaches this Sermon on the Mount. And he goes after this very thing of external religion versus the heart. In Matthew 6, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So here he's going to talk about people who give and people who pray. And notice the difference. It says, Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not your left, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So the whole idea is, am I giving so everyone will think, wow, look at that amazing, generous person. I'm going to come in here on Sunday. Hey, I'm giving a Lighthouse Mission giving project right over here. Just put it in the box just so you know. Like, no. You're doing it for the Lord's sake. You're not doing it for my sake. You're not doing it for the church's sake. I want this to go to you, God. It's in secret because I want it for God's sake. And the same thing. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So he's not talking about you know, praying or not praying. He's talking about why would you pray? For the praise of men or for the connection to God? Right? And this is what he talked about. One who's one inwardly. Talked about that in that secret place. In the hiddenness of my heart, I long to be connected to God. Not so that people will be impressed. Not so that I can fake people out. And sometimes you can even use religion to keep God at bay. Hey, I'm doing all the right things. I've got all the right stuff. So I don't have to actually have to listen to you. And Paul's saying, you're missing it. You're missing it. It's from the heart, by the Spirit, not the letter. His praise is from God. It's not about man. I'm not worried about what other people think. I want to connect with God. So God's not fooled. He's not fooled by our external religion. He's not fooled by these things. He sees 
a genuine heart. I think that is actually really great news. I can feel heavy, but it's actually great news because he's offering grace. He's offering grace. I'm going to read you this parable that... um, that Jesus told about this. He has a picture of these two people, and one is doing the external religion, and the other man isn't. I want you to see this as good news. This is in Luke 18. It says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. It's the very thing Paul's addressing here in Romans 2. And treated others with contempt. Also what we've seen in Romans 2. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Right? Check me out, God. Aren't you glad I'm on your team? <laughs> but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. There's such a relief in that. The tax collector guy says, I know I'm a mess. I know I have problems. Will you help me? And Jesus said, yes. God wasn't faked out by the self-righteous guy at all. And he completely said, that guy was justified. So there's this sense if you're going, yeah, I've faked and I've messed up and I've looked the part and I can't keep up. And you're thinking, I'm never going to make it. That's okay. That's exactly the place where you can just say, God, help me. I'm a mess. I've been a mess. I've rebelled against you or I've tried to fake you out or I've been seeking. And I just want you. He says, I can work with that. I can deal with that because we're actually getting to heart issues. Not external issues, right? God's not after religious observation. He's after your heart. And he'd much rather you just say, I can't do it and I can't make it and I can't get there and I can't look the part anymore. He'll go, good. Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're actually beginning to deal with the real you. So I don't want you, us to read this today and go, oh, I'm going to be crushed by these expectations. I've got to be perfect and everyone's got to look the part. And he's saying, no, no, that crushes you. You can't make it. That's the whole point of the gospel. You don't need to pretend anymore. You don't need to make everyone think. You don't need to. That's the whole point. He's saying you can't do it, so don't pretend. You can't make yourself righteous, so don't pretend. Pleasing another person won't fulfill you. Just saying, come to me. This is the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We're not living to please men. We're not living for our own agenda. I just want to live for Jesus. For from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new has come. So it's not just that you don't have to, you can stop pretending and stop any religious game. He's saying, I'm just actually going to make you new. 
When you come to Christ and say, I can't do it. I can't keep up the charade. He says, that's, that's right where I want to start. And when you say, you're my Lord, he says, I'm going to make you a new creature. That, that you're not focused on externals and you're not focused on religion. You're focused on following me and I'll do it from within. He gives you the heart. He makes your heart new. So if you're someone coming in here today thinking I've got to look the external part, the religious part, just set that aside. Say, here I am, God. Maybe some of you have been crushed by that. It's just been a weight and it was pressed on you from maybe your childhood or grew up in a really tight, hard-line church and it looked the part and you just, I want you to give you some relief today. Just say, here I am, God. Here I am, God. Here I am, God. Just start working with me right where I am. That's where we can start. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the, the relief that you give us not to play a part. We don't have to try to fool you with religion. We can just come to you with the reality of ourselves. Help us to follow you. Help us even in our failure to say, I just blew it, but I need your grace to come to you for forgiveness. Thank you that you love us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.